Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody here tonight. Glad to have you with us there online. Uh, whether you're on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, be sure to like, to heart, to share, subscribe. Uh, do all those things that you need to do there to help us get the word out uh, about our services. And also want to say welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. If you need that number, call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, also, just want to remind you that if you have access to the website there at HighlandBaptistChurch.com, uh, go under the info tab, if you will. It's under the info tab that you can download uh, the worship bulletin for this week. Uh, you can download the children's worship bulletins there. You can send those links to anybody that you want. Invite them to come to services. And then also is our prayer list. So be sure uh, to download that. Get that downloaded because uh, we want you to see those prayer requests there as we'll be going through several of those uh, to uh, get some updates from you on those. If you have prayer requests that you want to add, uh, be sure to do that on Facebook. That's where we'll see those live. Uh, and so be sure to go ahead and comment. You don't have to wait until we get to the prayer request time. That way it will already be there when we get there so we can follow your requests that you have. So be sure to do that uh, there on Facebook. And then also don't forget to do your online giving. If you're at home, uh, go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Uh, you can do that uh, really simple there, an easy platform uh, to do. And I encourage you to do that if you're in person. The offering envelopes are in the windowsills, and you can put those in the plate down at the front, as well as you can also give online in person. So, Brother Mike, I think that's it. So if you'll come and lead us. Well, if you don't have a hymnal, words are on the screen for love divine, all loves excelling, 208. Miss Pat. okay with the stream that's what I thought <laughs> I was having a hard time on mine so uh, be sure if you're online there uh, to um, give us that uh, request uh, it's a little bit spotty on our service in here tonight so 
uh, be sure to go ahead and give that at any time. Uh, that way it'll be sure to pop up there at least some point uh, as we go through the prayer list that I'll be able to share that prayer request uh, that you have. Uh, we do want to remember several uh, on our prayer list uh, for this week. Uh, I want to continue to remember Miss Leona Ross, who had been in the hospital in Michigan. Uh, anybody heard any more update on her? Okay, I have not either. Uh, Phil Henderson has got his procedure coming up soon for his knee, uh, as well as Sandra Wells uh, has her uh, procedure coming up for her kidney stones. Uh, Mark Raymond is still uh, Im improving from uh, his uh, issues that he had had, so continue to keep him in prayer. And then Carolyn Waller uh, is still having a lot of pain uh, from her uh, medical issues that she had also. Uh, we want to remember Rick Miller and his family uh, as they'll be having the memorial service uh, this Saturday. Um, I believe that's right, and I don't remember the time. Does anybody remember the time? Four o'clock. Uh, that'll be four o'clock on Saturday, and that'll be over in Woodbury. Uh, so just want to remind you of that. And then Brian Tate has been having some issues also that he wanted us to add uh, for his prayer requests. And then if you'll look down in the nursing home list, uh, again there, uh, just as a reminder, because we've had her on a different nursing home for a while now, but uh, Miss Janet Carter has been moved to MacArthur Manor. They did that last Wednesday, uh, and hopefully things will go well there for her, so just keep her uh, in your prayers. And then you told me well, she moved out. Uh, I believe it was Oliver that Miss uh, Pat was telling me about that improved. Uh, his blood count was uh, much higher, and so just praise the Lord uh, for that. Do continue to remember Jake uh, Campbell, uh, who's on your prayer list there, and then Laura Hendricks, who is uh, Becky Moffat's daughter, uh, still having some issues there. Hunter Cruz, uh, who has cancer. He did have a part of his colon uh, removed. This is my cousin who passed away just recently. Her son uh, has the same kind of cancer as she did. Uh, but they, he's younger, much younger, uh, in his uh, mid-20s. Uh, and uh, they did remove a piece of his colon, but everything seemed to be going well uh, with him. Uh, Brian had asked us also to add Yvonne Ortiz to the prayer list, to remember her in prayer. And then Floyd and Sue Prince, they've been on the prayer list, but Floyd uh, is in the hospital, has been in ICU. So does anybody have any update as of yesterday? That's the word I had yesterday, that he was in ICU. So keep him uh, in your prayer especially. And that's Myra Patton's uh, father and mother. And then uh, Patricia Durham asked us to add her sister. Well, we had her sister already on there, but her skin cancer has come back. So we just wanted to, we moved her down the list there. Hmm? Her mother. Okay. That's her mother. Why did I have it as her sister? Maybe because I'm thinking of the next one. <laughs> so the next one is uh, Janie Town, who is the sister of Donna Adcock. And uh, she had a stroke last week and has had another stroke since she's been in the hospital and is on the ventilator and is still on the ventilator uh, as of the word we had from Donna uh, today. So we want to continue to remember Janie in your prayers as she continues to hang in there, but remember for her and her family. And then also Miss Regina Rogers, her uh, aunt uh, Mary Summers passed away, so we just want to continue to remember that family uh, in their time. And then also Sherry Yates, her sister, had passed away, and they had her service also this past Sunday, uh, Faye Gold Stacy. So remember her uh, in your prayers. Any others that we need to add or any other updates? Does anybody seen the update on Katie Jo, how she... Just getting that... Okay, so just getting that extra care there in Nashville uh, that they didn't have in Memphis there for her. Any others that we need to update? I'm looking there on Facebook and I don't see any right now, but uh, be sure to comment there and give us that prayer request. If we get back to the end of the service there, uh, I'll have somebody that's here to let me know if there's any requests, if we remember that. Uh, to uh, give any updates there of any that might, we might have missed at this point. Just trying to remember if there were any others. Oh, I do have one other. I know I had one other somewhere. Uh, Tammy Bain, uh, who is a, one of our new members, uh, had asked prayer for herself uh, as well as uh, for her son, Cody. So you want to add Cody. Bain, B-A-I-N, uh, to your prayer list. 
Uh, she sits on the very back, uh, back there about where the light switch is. So. All right. Well, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer then, if there's no others. Uh, and we'll just uplift these needs to the Lord in prayer. And then again, as we said, we'll come back at the very end uh, to see if there's any updates. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for just your presence with us tonight. Father, we thank you that we have the wonderful privilege to come before your throne of grace. And Lord, to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. Lord, as we hear your voice speaking to our hearts, we understand, Lord, that you are a holy and a righteous and a just God. And Lord, you have commanded us to be holy because you are holy. And yet when we see ourselves in light of who you are, we must acknowledge our sinfulness, even as believers, that we uh, fail to do things that you've commanded us to do. Uh, we do things sometimes or even think thoughts sometimes that are uh, contrary to what you've told us we should or shouldn't do. And so, Father, we just want to come before you tonight and confess any sin in our hearts to ask you to forgive us. Lord, we pray that you would cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Uh, Father, to uh, cast them into the depths of the sea to never be remembered anymore. And Father, we just pray tonight that uh, we will uh, be able to come before you with clear and open hearts, not because of our, our own righteous deeds, but because of Christ and his righteousness that has been imparted to us uh, in our place, his perfectness, and uh, he being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Uh, and Father, we pray that if we have received Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, may that righteousness cover us, uh, Lord, in our, in our iniquities. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will uh, just do an awesome work in our hearts tonight. Uh, we pray, God, that as we come before your throne of grace, may we come boldly. Uh, Father, may, may we pray effectually and fervently in our hearts, knowing that you are powerful, you are capable, you are able. There is nothing that is going on in any of these people's lives that we're praying for uh, tonight that is beyond your ability to take care of. And so we just ask God, uh, in your power, in your glory, in your majesty, may you intervene and bring uh, miraculous healing to each one of these individuals, whether that's a physical healing, uh, Father, whether that's emotional or spiritual, or maybe there's some family issues that are going on there. Uh, whatever the issues might be, Lord, we just uplift them all to you. We place them in your hands. We ask, Lord, for you to take those uh, needs that we are placing before you and to bring about your perfect will in your perfect way in your perfect time. Father, we pray that you will be with those who have lost loved ones and may you bring comfort and peace to their hearts. Uh, Father, we pray that you will uh, just do a, a work in their lives to lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak to their hearts uh, in, a, in a powerful way to let them know that you are with them. May they lean upon you more than ever. Uh, and Lord, may uh, they not lean into their own understanding, but may you direct them in all of their paths, uh, in all of the steps that they take each and every day. And Father, we just pray that they will draw closer to you and you to them to give them that peace that passes all understanding. Father, bring refreshing uh, to their heart, bring comfort to their souls. And Father, we just pray, especially for each one of these going through these physical needs, Father, we pray that you'll help them to find their source of strength, uh, Lord, their, their, the power to keep pressing forward uh, in, in your presence. And Father, I pray that you will just make your presence known to them, uh, that you have not left them nor forsaken them. And Lord, may that be an encouragement to them, may it bold, embolden them and strengthen them. Uh, as many may continue to go through uh, some terminal illnesses that they're facing. Father, we pray for those who are in the nursing homes and, and are not able to get out of their homes, Father, who have caregivers. And we just pray, God, that you will be with them and encourage them also to let them know that you've not forgotten them either. Uh, Father, that you care about them, that you love them, and Father, that we love them and that we're uplifting them in our prayers tonight and just asking you to embrace them uh, in your loving grace and your mercy. And Father, we pray especially uh, as we get ready to go into the book of Micah one final time here, Father, that you will speak your truth into our hearts. Father, we pray that you will help us to, to see and to understand 
the message that Micah brings here to the people of Israel and how it applies to our lives. And Father, I pray that your word would be alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. May it pierce our hearts, bring conviction to our souls, and Lord, may it be also uh, a guide to us uh, to, to make sure that we don't stray to the right or to the left, but that we keep our focus on you, glorifying you, praising you, and remembering that you are the one who is gone, going before us each and every day. Lord, may you lead us and guide us in each and every step of each and every way. So bless us tonight as we come to worship you, and we ask for your will to be done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at this entire last chapter uh, as we come to the close here of the book of Micah. I've entitled this message, Knowing God. And so we're going to begin uh, with reading verse 1 uh, down through verse 7. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. So Micah chapter 7, verse 1 says, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man ushers the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight once again for your word. And we just ask, Heavenly Father, that you'll bless your word. May it, as we said, be powerful in our lives. Father, I pray that this message we've begun here, uh, to hear this woe from you to the nation of Israel, would be relevant to where we are today, even in our own nation, even in our own personal lives. And may you give us the application to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You be seated. Let me ask you this. Have you ever lost something valuable? Uh, like your wallet, your keys, or uh, a ring, or maybe even just the TV remote. What do you do? You search high and low. You, you turn the furniture upside down looking for things. You pull out uh, the, the cushions uh, on the sofa. Uh, you look under the beds with flashlights. You check every room uh, in the house. I know for me, that's what I do. I think, okay, what room did I have it in last? And I go to that room and I start searching that room completely. And I thoroughly go over that completely room. And if I don't find it there, then I go to the next room and then to the next room until I do find, uh, find it. Sometimes I don't find it because I, I looked right over it. The the other day, um, we were getting ready to do something in the in the KitchenAid mixer. Uh, I was getting ready to mix something in it and uh, went to look for that little plastic cover that goes over your bowl to keep everything from splashing out. Couldn't find that thing anywhere. I looked all over the place. I remember Samantha had told me that, uh, that we didn't need to put it on top of the bowl. She wanted to put it somewhere else. And I thought, well, where did she put it? And I, it wasn't her. <laughs> I go back in. I looked all around in different rooms, looked in the garage, looked in the closet. Couldn't find it anywhere. I go back, and you know where it's sitting? Right next to the bowl. <laughs> on top of some plastic bags where it kind of blended in with everything else. You know, but that's what we do. We lose things and we, we, we look everywhere. We, we even sometimes sift through the garbage to find those things. We've all been there. We've all had personal or family search parties for things of value uh, that, that we misplaced. And it seems like the older I get, the more that happens. Uh, losing keys and losing different things like that until I find them. Well, as we close out our study here, in the book of Micah, 
One of the things we find with Micah here is that Micah is calming through the city, looking for something of value, looking for something of importance. He's looking for a godly, righteous person. Now, when I hear that and what Micah is doing there and looking to see, is there one godly person in the city here left? I think back to, to Abraham. Uh, who had pleaded with God uh, on the behalf of Lot and those who were uh, in the city of Sodom. Lord, if we, if we find ten, Lord, if we find five, uh, if we just find a few, uh, Lord, will we, you we spare this city? That's where Micah is kind of here. He's already walked through his city, uh, either literally or figuratively, once, and now he's sifting through the rubble here, if you will, of a crumbling society all around him, hoping to find some semblance of godliness, uh, hoping to find just those few uh, in a sinful nation. Well, Micah, it, he takes one last look, praying that things aren't as bad as they appeared. Unfortunately, they weren't. And so I want you to see several things from this chapter as we close this book tonight. I want you to see, first of all, Micah's sorrow. Micah's sorrow. We see that in verse 1 through verse 7, but especially in verse 1 and verse 2, where Micah says, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first right fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. And so Micah begins his message here in this final closing message. Uh, he likens himself to somebody going out into the field uh, in, in, during, during the harvest time, and during the harvest time, you go out in the field and you go to your, your tomato vines and you expect to find tomatoes on it. You go uh, to dig up the potatoes and you expect to find potatoes uh, in the ground, whatever the, the, the crop might be. Here, uh, he's going through the vineyards. Uh, he's looking through the fig trees. Uh, he goes out when, when the harvest time is only to, sco to discover there's nothing there. Uh, the harvest doesn't exist. There's nothing to pick. There's nothing to gather. Now, several commentators have said the mental picture here that Micah taps into is that of the poor uh, who would go into the fields of the workers uh, to, uh, after they had already harvested, uh, hoping to find those things that they had dropped or left behind or failed to gather, but there was nothing left. It's kind of like remembering uh, Ruth uh, when she was out in the fields. Remember in, in the book of Ruth, uh, she was gleaning in the fields with uh, Boaz. Uh, that was kind of the, the emphasis there. The, the, the harvesters would go through uh, the fields. The owners were told by God to make provisions for the poor. You just go through one time, whatever you leave on the ground, leave that for the poor uh, to come through and they can pick it up after you. Uh, if there's anything left on the vine there uh, or anything left on the fig trees after you've gone through the first time, don't go back a second time. Leave that for the poor and the needy because God was always making provision for those who were poor. Well, Micah, uh, like a beggar or a poor person desperate to find the fruit of righteousness in his society, goes to the field only to find that it's being picked clean. It's kind of like the old nursery rhyme that we used to say uh, about old Mother Hubbard. Old Mother Hubbard, she went to the cupboard to get her poor dog a bone, but when she got there, the cupboards were bare, and what? The poor, the poor little dog had none. <laughs> there was nothing. Uh, that was, a, that was a, a little poem, a nursery rhyme that we learned uh, many times as kids that, that reflected and talked about the poor conditions uh, in Europe when that was uh, written. So uh, that's kind of the emphasis here of what's going on with, with Micah as he's looked through the land. The fruit of righteousness was nowhere to be found. Now, that didn't mean that there wasn't one person uh, who feared uh, and loved and worshipped God in Judah, but what it meant was that as a whole of a nation... They were spiritually barren. It, it would kind of be the, the same for us today. It's a correct theological assessment of humanity as a whole uh, because there, there isn't one person who is righteous in the sight of God. We're all guilty sinners according to God's standards of righteousness. So when you look at the world, uh, you know, we, we, we may think that there is none who are righteous. We are none who are righteous. The Bible says there is none that is good. No, not one. 
It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ uh, that's been given to us. And so here's, Neo, here's, here's Micah who's going through the land, and he can't find any righteousness in the land. So what we see is that God is seeking the fruit of righteousness in his people. And the question for us, the question for us as individuals and even as a church is will that fruit of righteousness be found in our lives? If somebody sifted through all the parts of your life, all the parts of your actions, your thoughts, your habits, your affections, your relationships, would they find the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Would they see Christ in us? Micah said that the godly men had perished. There's none. Micah was brokenhearted in these first two verses that we're reading here. In fact, God was broke, heartbroken over the rebellion of his people, something Micah once again places uh, into evidence. And so as you continue on with verse 2, uh, he says, They all lie in wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Uh, he says in verse 3, Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. Uh, they, they, it, it's just a weird uh, imagining of what he says here. Uh, they're not just evil. They want to do evil to the best they can do it, uh, is what he's saying here. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. Uh, the prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And so when the judge is, is asking for a bribe and the, and the leadership of the, of, the, of the rulers of the kingdom are, are doing the same and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul, there's no hope. And so thus they weave it together. The best of them, he says, is like a briar. The most upright of them like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. Uh, for the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men... Of his own house. Now, when you read that description there in verses 2 down through verse 6, that's not an encouraging, inspiring, comforting description of what's taking place in Micah's day. This is a, a people for whom there was no fear of God uh, in, in their eyes. Uh, society as a whole in that day was splintering and, and fracturing at every level. It, it was a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Uh, they were committing acts of violence against each other. Uh, they were hunting each other with a net, seeking to snare the other uh, in order to take advantage of individuals or to harm, harm them. Uh, they were really good at doing evil. When it came to evil, it's like he's saying they were ambidextrous. They, they could do evil with their right hand or with their left hand, and they could do it equally well. And that's what verse 3 is saying there. And that takes effort to be good at doing something with both hands. So these people, uh, they had become almost professional, uh, skilled at wrong things. You know, we've always, as, as humankind, been, been good at making an art of sin and evil. But their leaders were crooked. Uh, the best of them, he says, was like a, a, a briar bush or, or a thorny weed, good for nothing but to cause a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort and disappointment. In verse 4, notice he mentions the watchman. Now, who's the watchman? The watchman is the prophets who've been coming from God to declare uh, the, the judgment of God that was coming. So it was a, it was a watchman's job uh, to watch to watch over the city. They would be the ones in the towers, the ones on the city walls uh, who would be looking uh, to keep his eyes, his ears open for any threat that would come externally or he could look down internally to see if there was something going wrong in the city that he could report or to warn against. Uh, these individuals would watch the horizon to see if the enemies were approaching. He kept his eyes and his ears open to see the dangers that might be lurking inside the city walls, whether that was burglars or, or robbers or fires or, or movements that threatened the protection of the people. So when Mike is referring to the watchmen here, he's referring to the prophets. It would be his way of saying uh, that, that the prophets, uh, all that the prophets had said was coming to pass now, right here, along with God's judgment. He was saying, the watchman has been warning, the watchman has been telling you, your punishment is coming. And he says, you know what? It has come, it is here already. Those who said judgment and danger were not coming would now be put to the test. 
Uh, and then just look at the breakdown uh, in society there in verse 5 and verse 6. Notice what he says, don't put your trust in a neighbor. Uh, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. And then he talks about the family unit. And he says sons uh, are, are treating their fathers with contempt. Daughters are rising up against their mother. Daughter-in-laws against their mother-in-law. A man's enemies are all the men of his own house. In other words, nobody could trust anybody anymore. Even family couldn't be trusted uh, or seen as a safe heaven. Don't trust your neighbor. Don't have confidence in your friend. Don't trust the one beside you in the bed. Children and parents, uh, don't trust them. In-laws against in-laws. Enemies in the home. So when the family fractures, uh, when the family fragments, the downfall of the culture cannot be far behind. And that's what we've seen here in America. Uh, we have seen the downfall of the family. It's amazing when you read what uh, Micah is telling us here how close these 2,500-year-old descriptions feel for us even today. It's like Micah's living in our day. It's like he's watching our news and the headlines in the world, living in our very own nation. Uh, where, where it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and you can't even trust anybody uh, anymore. In, in verse 4, Micah made an interesting statement. He says, now their confusion is at hand. So this breakdown and confusion weren't just the ca a cause for judgment, but the breakdown and confusion was also a part of God's judgment uh, upon the society, not just the reason for it. John Calvin wrote this. He said, when we reflect on the corruption that dominated Micah's time, let us take heed to ourselves, he said. For this passage is not referring to some savage group of people who had never received instruction or who were reprobate of God. They were of Abraham's line. They were of a people who had been chosen from among all the others to be God's inheritance, a people who had been instructed in the law. How did this confusion come about, John Calvin said? Because they turned aside from God. Therefore, because they despised his doctrine of salvation and turned aside from his righteous path, God was justified in leaving them in a reprobate state, just like the book of Romans uh, talks about. Uh, subject to the brutal afflictions and, and nothing but cruelty, oblivious to their call. Uh, John Calvin went on to say, Therefore let us be fearful, lest because we abuse God's grace ourselves, God should have to make us equally blind and brutish. When God removes his hand of protection upon us and his hand of blessing upon us and gives a people over to their own desires and the fruit of their own sinfulness and godless ideologies, the cultural fabric begins to fray and tear apart and unwind. And confusion replaces cohesion. Lunacy replaces sanity. Reason is replaced by emotion. And order is elbowed out by chaos. God will judge us as a nation. Now, there are godly people within our nation who love the Lord God, who are crying out to God in prayer for his grace and his mercy uh, upon our nation. But understand this, God's judgment will eventually come upon our nation. Uh, even though there are those who, who love him and who follow after him. Uh, and his judgment will come upon us. But make no mistake, God is already judging us now. When the confusion moves in and judgment waits at the door, how are we to respond? Well, that leads us to our second, response, second point here. As we see, Micah's response can serve as a pattern for us to follow. So we go back to verse 7, and we continue on there down to verse 17. We'll just start with verse 7 and 8 to start with. He says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So Micah responds here by looking to the Lord. 
When we face the situations like Micah describes in those first seven verses and the chaos that begins to ensue and, and, and family member against family member and friend against friend and neighbor against neighbor, the first thing we need to do is what Micah does, look to the Lord. But as for me, he says, I will look to the Lord. It's the same word for watch. He's still serving, Micah is, as a watchman, surveying the horizon for the Lord. This time he's not looking for the Lord to come in judgment, but he's looking for the Lord to bring salvation, to bring restoration. And despite all that heartbreaking, disappointing, and frightening things taking place around him, Micah shifts his attention from all of that chaos around him in the world to the Lord. Now, Micah isn't unrealistic. He knows that difficult days are ahead. One of the things we need to know is there are difficult days ahead. He recognizes he may fall, he may suffer, that his enemies may rejoice when he does, but he knows the fall and the suffering won't last forever. He knows the enemy is going to mock, the enemy is going to jeer, but he also knows that one day their mocking is going to turn to fear when God, they stand before God and God sets things right. He knows that, that difficult days are going to come and that they will be the direct result of God's hand of judgment on a people that he's a part of. And that's why he says this in verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Now, that doesn't seem right to us. I mean, he just said in verse 7, I'm going to look to the Lord... And you would think that, that the natural consequence and, uh, you know, the, the, the result of that, the, 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 the benefit of that is going to be that God is going to bless him, that things are going to be better. Uh, that he, he's saying, don't rejoice over me when I fall. The Lord's going to be a light to, for me. But then in verse 9 he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. You know, I think it's easy for us to constantly look at the world and to say, you know, that's a wicked, sorry, no good-for-nothing good world out there. When we need to be looking here at ourselves. We look at all that sinful messiness out there, but we forget that we have played our part in all of that. We've contributed to it in our ways in our own ways. At times, we've given outright approval through our participation in sinful things and sometimes by our silence about an issue. Micah says, I am going to bear it knowing I deserve it. The Bible tells us that all of us, not a single one of us has been sinless, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to come to that place to acknowledge that. That's what Micah's saying. I'm going to bear it. I know I deserve it. Believing God is going to bring me out of it. Micah is looking to and waiting on the Lord. And so he goes to verse 10, and he says, When that happens, then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls, in that the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria, talking about they will come to Jerusalem, they will come back to the nation of, of Israel, uh, the people's will. They will come from Assyria, from the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, God, and flo the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land uh, of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. So Micah describes and says here that he admits he's in a time of trouble. Trouble's coming. D darkness is coming. He understands that the sin of his people are the source of God's impending judgment. But he was facing that sad truth with hope. 
He had confidence that some way, somehow, even through all of his judgment, God was going to bring him and others into the light, that he would see God's salvation. Clearly, he's talking about a future event. He's talking about the return uh, of the Messiah, the King Jesus, who's going to restore Israel to a promised glory. It's because of that hope-inspiring truth that Micah could encourage such hope. That again brings us back to looking at these uh, prophets of the Old Testament that so often are accused of being so judgmental and, and all it seems like is, is God's uh, hand of wrath upon people. But you see God's hope and you see God's mercy and you see God's love all throughout these uh, pro prophetical books. Micah is encouraging uh, such hope here. And so Micah is looking to and he's waiting on the Lord. That means he's trusting God in the midst of the present distress that he's in. He's trusting God for, for a future salvation and grace. And isn't that what we even as believers are, are, are looking for, we're waiting for, we're waiting for a future rescue. Yes, we've been saved. We've been rescued in that our sentence has been commuted and, and each one has been declared righteous who are believers in, in Jesus, who've trusted in Jesus. But we're still waiting on the finished work, aren't we? We're still waiting on heaven. We're waiting on Jesus to come, uh, that final rescue. Uh, when what we read here in verse 16 and verse 17 says, The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. There is a day that's yet to come. Waiting on the Lord involves so much more than we think. It's not sitting idly by at the hands, as the hands of the clock continue to go round and round. In Hebrew thought and terminology, words like hope and wait belong in the same word category as trust and believe and faith. All those words uh, have that commanding resolve, meaning I am resolved to wait for God, my Savior, to act. And that's what Micah is saying here. Micah watches the, for the future, uh, to the future for an act of God as, as he's surrounded right now by, by all these armies and by all the enemies of God, uh, watching the horizon for the appearance of relief is what he's doing in the midst of that. He doesn't give hope. He doesn't give up hope. He doesn't surrender uh, to depression. He doesn't resign himself to it's just doom and gloom and it's never going to work out. He, he has hope uh, in, in the Lord. Uh, and, and so he waits uh, for the most powerful form of action uh, by the helpless uh, is to wait. Uh, those who express their, their waiting uh, for, the, for God to come in the form of salvation. So Micah knows what God has done. He has seen what God can do, and he's waiting for God to do it again. Let me ask you this. If you're a believer here tonight, have you seen what God has done? You've seen some great things God has done. You've seen what God can do. Are you waiting for God to do it again? You know, whenever we find ourselves, for whatever reason, in a waiting situation, feeling like we're, we're under siege, we're being pressed in, we're sitting in darkness. One of the things we can do in the midst of that, one of the responses here that Micah has, is you can look back to what God has done all throughout your life. Uh, you can see what he's done, and that begins to fuel your expectant waiting and belief that God is going to come through again because you can see he was faithful way back there. He was faithful again here. He was faithful again there. He was faithful again there. He's going to be faithful out here, he promises, so I can trust where I'm at right now in the midst of whatever chaos and trouble that I'm in, that he is going to be here now. And so Micah closes this prophecy with a play on his name, which means, who is like Yahweh, the covenant name, God? That's the very question he asks and answers in the closing remarks. And it's a question that's been asked before. Because if you go back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus, in chapter 15 and verse 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? 
Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 71 and verse 19 and says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? I don't know about you, but I don't serve a God that I keep in a little box. He don't fit in my little box. He's much bigger than even this building. He's much bigger than even this world. Who is, who is your God? These verses point to God's power. These verses are pointing to God's holiness, His righteousness, His uniqueness, His preeminence. Now, the world is serving their so-called gods, and, and there is no so-called God that can compare in these areas. God is too great. God is too mighty. But as Micah thinks about this question, what sets God apart? While he would certainly agree with all those things we said before, that he is holy, he is powerful, he is righteous, what sets God apart and amazes Micah in, is God's compassion, God's forgiveness, and God's mercy. Which leads us to the third point in verse 18 to verse 20 that he closes this book with. We see Micah's focus. And this is where our focus ought to be. These concluding verses of Micah, they're amazing. He says in verse 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. So Micah, with, with all the talk of God's holiness and, and his power and his acts of deliverance in the first part of this prophecy, now comes to the end here and says, who is like my God? Who's like your God tonight? Micah shared some wonderful truths here about God's continued faithfulness to his children. First, God will forgive their sins. So in spite of all their sin, in spite of all their wickedness, in spite of all their rebellion that has led them to this moment that God's judgment is coming upon them, that Assyria has come down and, and taken uh, the, the nation of Israel in the north into captivity. They came through the southern kingdom to the point of almost capturing Jerusalem, and then they had enemies that were back in the homeland. They had to go back. That was all a part of God's design and what God did there. Uh, to, to remove them from the land so that Jerusalem was spared just a little bit more. But they continue to rebel against God. And eventually, Babylon takes over. Uh, the Babylonians capture the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians begin to come into the southern kingdom. And the Babylonians are going to take them into captivity. And so all of that was a part of God's judgment. And so in spite of all their sin and their wickedness and rebellion, God was still extending an offer of mercy. He offered his forgiveness to the remnant of his inheritance. He was providing forgiveness to all those in Israel and Judah who were pursuing that covenant relationship with him that was based on loyalty and obedience. And he's still blessing those who love God and who love others. There is no one like him because he forgives. See, that was totally unlike any of the other gods of this world. Uh, all their so-called gods uh, were to be lived in fear of, that they might cast some lightning bolt down on them and strike them uh, down or some kind of fearful thing like that. He forgives. He pardons our, our sinfulness, our iniquity. He lifts our guilt and takes it away. God removes it from us. The psalmist says that he removes it as far as the east is from the west. But he not only forgives us, he's also merciful to us. Notice verse 19. Verse 19 says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities, our sins underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So, so he's compassionate. The Hebrew word there is rahim. It's used 40 times in the Old Testament. It's translated compassion, pity, or mercy. In its basic sense, it means to feel affectionate love based on a relational bond or to show kindness to the inferior or needy. It has as its heart of its, of its meaning compassionate mercy. 
And, and so what we see is he, he passes over their rebellion and he passes over our rebellion, those, those, times, those times we sinned against God's authority and against his word, and yet he chooses not to hold those sins against us because he held it against his son who took upon himself the sins of the world instead. Now, it's not a universal forgiveness extended to everyone, uh, even those who reject God and, and his ways while choosing a, a lifestyle of rebellion against him. This forgiveness and salvation are for those who receive the free gift of salvation by faith. And so we too, we receive God's mercy and we receive God's forgiveness by grace on the basis of faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. He's the one who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he was raised to life to demonstrate his substitutionary sacrifice was for us. He's the one who made our reconciliation with God the Father possible, allowing us to be forgiven, to be sealed, to be adopted into God's forever family. Every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ receives God's pardon, receives God's mercy. He overcomes our sins. And the Bible says... He casts them into the depths of the sea. You know the deepest part of the sea? The Mariana Trench, located outside Guam. It's the deepest place in the ocean, seven miles deep. The water pressure there is so strong at that depth that it would crush bones and dissolve them. There's no light. And God, if God puts something there in the depths of the sea, he doesn't intend on it being found or coming up again. Someone said God buries our sins in the sea and puts a no fishing sign over them. It's grace, it's forgiveness, it's faithful love. It's that we have a God, yes, a holy, righteous, just God, but a God who delights not in the judgment of sinners, but in their salvation. Is God's glory seen in judgment? Yes. His delight is in extending mercy to those who are repentant. But remember, God doesn't look past our sin or over our sin. The Bible says he blots out our sin. God has justified us, and that means that when he looks at you, he sees you just as if you've never sinned, just as if you'd always obeyed perfectly. Why? Because he's not looking at you. He's looking at the shed blood of Jesus Christ that covers you. That is real, life-changing hope. We're fully forgiven by God, and our relationship with him is fully secured in his eternal power and in his promise. And that's the God that we delight in as well. That is our hope in life, in death and in eternity. A God who delights in mercy, showing love, giving grace to those who believe. And then finally in verse 20, you will show faithfulness. God, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So in that final verse, Micah tells them and gives them the promise also that one day God is going to position his people beyond the reach of sin. In other words, it's what the, what the, the book of Revelation tells us, that when, when we come to heaven, there's not going to be any more suffering. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more sorrow. Why? Because there's not going to be any more sin. One day that's going to happen for us. He knew that a day was coming when God's covenant loyalty to his people from all ages, both Jew and Gentile alike, would finally fully be realized. And that day, his people would be completely delivered from the grip of sin. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, 
Here in the love of Christ I stand, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. I want you to see these verses on the screen, uh, this third verse here. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost, its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, that your forgiveness, your mercy, your love, your grace extends to us today. Lord, that no matter what we've done or how we've lived, no matter what we've said or what we've thought, no matter what actions we may have taken, we can come by faith and receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And when we do, Lord, help us to understand, and as Micah was saying here, a day that was coming, and a day yet still that is to be fulfilled. Lord, that the salvation would come through Jesus Christ who died in our place on the cross, who lived a perfect, sinless life where we could not, and whose righteousness is imparted to us even in our wickedness. You've forgiven us. You've loved us. You've shown your mercy to us. You've cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. You, you've placed them in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered anymore. So, Father, I pray that we as believers tonight will begin to live in that victory and that hope, knowing, Lord, that one day the Savior is coming again. And Lord, that we would look with hope that no matter how bad things get around us in this world, even though we may fall, even though there may be those who will come against us and, and Lord, persecute those who are Christians, Father, I pray that we will keep our focus on you and we would respond, Lord, to love you and to serve you and to follow you. No matter how bad things get, keeping our focus on you, knowing that our hope is in Jesus Christ who one day will either call us home or one day the trumpet will sound and he will come to get us. Father, I pray that as times will get worse for us, I pray, Lord, that we'll keep our hope in you and that you'll help us, Lord, to live in that victory that others will see the hope we have in the midst of despair and suffering. To know, God, that you are a God who loves and who is gracious a God who is holy, a God who is righteous, a God who is just, but yet a God who cares about us enough and loves us enough to send his only begotten son 
to die on the cross for our sins. Bless us, Lord, for having studied the book of Micah. And I pray, God, that it will enrich our hearts and our souls for the rest of our lives. Lord, continue to lead us through these Old Testament prophets. And may you bless us in the time that we're apart from one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there online. We look forward to having you back this Sunday, Sunday morning, 9.15 for Sunday school. Come join us in person, 10.30 for worship. Uh, you can join us there online if you need to, but we'd love to have you come and join us in person. But you have a blessed week. Uh, stay safe, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.